So today's scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, verses 36 to 50. I'll be reading it for us. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, meaning Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city was a saint sinner. When she learned that, that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, bought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of, his, of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who invited him saw this, they said to himself, If this man were a prophet, we have known who and what sort of woman this who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one I suppose for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not annoy my head with all, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who has forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who are at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is God's word. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Ollie, for reading God's word for us. Uh, as we come to hear the Word of God, uh, let's prepare our hearts by praying and asking Him to help us. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we give you thanks indeed that you are God who speaks. And Lord, as we come to your Word, we pray that you would quiet our hearts, give us ears to hear, and Father, make our hearts soft to your truth. And Father, we pray that your Spirit would fill us, that we would be not just hearers but also doers of your Word. We pray that you would grant us grace to love as you have first loved us. So, Father, bless your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have almost another month to go of circuit breaker measures. How is everyone holding up? What is God teaching us during this season? One thing I've learned during this period is how difficult it can be to love others. With my wife and I working from home and my two boys doing home-based learning, we've had to adjust to new routines, new ways of doing things in our home. We've had to learn how to share the space in our flat, uh, which admittedly, it's not always easy to do so. 
And the other day, I asked one of my sons if he liked our home, since we're spending so much time in it. And he replied, yes, but I wish it were larger. Last month, I read a Straits Times article with this headline, Rise in Domestic Abuse Cases as Families Forced to Stay Home. Social workers have reported more cases of conflict in marriages and families. Some expect divorce rates to rise after this pandemic is over. I think one of the sad ironies of this period is that this time together has actually caused some to move even further apart. Tough times reveals what's in our hearts, exposing our inner struggles, our anxieties, and our fears. Tough times reveal what we trust in and hope for. For those of us who, are, who have been shaken by a loss of comfort, uh, the good news is that one particular fast food restaurant may be reopening soon. Tough times also reveal the quality of our love. And as we stayed home, how have we struggled with impatience, with frustration, anger, and selfishness? You know, I know my love for others has been weighed in the balance and often found wanting. So how do we love well? Do we simply grit our teeth, will ourselves to be more loving? You know, since the circuit breaker measures started, my two sons haven't seen their grandmothers. So I encourage Zach and Ian to call them regularly. And I'm thankful they love their grandmothers and they enjoy talking with them. But suppose they don't want to, but they grudgingly do so because I threatened them with a ban on using the iPad. Now they may do what I ask, but have they truly shown love? Genuine love goes deeper than mere external actions. Genuine love is more than merely fulfilling an obligation or duty. We understand that love must come from our hearts. A good tree bears good fruit. So to love well, we need to get to the root that nourishes love. Otherwise, as Ollie mentioned in a sermon some weeks back, we're just fruit stapling. It's not real love. So far in Luke's Gospel, we've seen how Jesus is the King who has the power to heal and raise the dead. And he teaches us how to live as citizens of God's kingdom. And in our passage this morning, Jesus shows us how to love well through an encounter with two people, an unwelcome intruder and a scandalized host. A Pharisee named Simon invites Jesus to a meal. And the Pharisees are religious teachers known for being strict with religious laws, traditions, and rituals. Now, Simon's invitation is surprising given what the Pharisees have been saying about Jesus. Now, Jesus have been, has been ruffling religious feathers by eating with the wrong sort of person. The Pharisees and their scribes grumble at his disciples. We hear from Luke 5.30 saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You know, maybe this made Simon, who was a Pharisee, curious about Jesus. Uh, he wanted to meet Jesus to judge for himself, to find out from Jesus himself, who is he? You know, is he really a prophet? 
And then Jesus accepts Simon's invitation because he wants to make himself available to all, all peoples, whether they are religious or irreligious. Now, Jesus has come to save sinners regardless of our background or social status. So he goes to the meal, and at the meal, Jesus reclines at table with his host. Now, in those times, it was customary at banquets for guests to eat while lying down on their side with their feet away from the table. And then the passage goes on to say, Suddenly, behold, a woman of the city appears. Now, we don't know her name, but we do know her reputation. She is a sinner. Now, what kind of sinner? Uh, the passage doesn't tell us. You know, maybe she's married to someone notorious, like a tax collector. Maybe she owes a large amount of money that she can't pay. Uh, perhaps she is infamous for her immorality, possibly as a prostitute or an adulteress. Now, we can't say for sure. Luke doesn't tell us. But as we shall see, knowing her specific sin isn't the point. Now, the woman had heard that Jesus would be at Simon's house, so she goes to look for Jesus. And in those days, hosts would leave their doors open during banquets, so uninvited guests could actually wander in to observe the banquet. You know, they could sit on the side and hear the conversation that was going on. But even so, showing up uninvited still took a lot of courage for the woman, especially for someone with her reputation. So the woman took a huge risk by going to Simon's house. The Pharisees were known for shunning people like her. Now imagine the humiliation, imagine the rejection that she would face showing up at Simon's house. But the woman really wants to see Jesus and nothing will keep her from drawing near to him. Friends, don't, don't let our fear, our anxiety or our shame keep us from Jesus. Luke tells us in this passage through the example of the woman that we can draw near to him and we can draw near to him especially during this time when many of us are fearful, many of us are worried and anxious and as Pastor Ian preached last week, many of us has, have doubts and questions. Bring them to Jesus. Ask him. Seek him. He invites us to draw near to him. But at the banquet, the woman is clearly out of place. She stands at Jesus' feet. Uh, the, the word in our text says uh, weeping, but, but the word literally means wailing, uh, sobbing very, very loudly. And her, her, her tears are, are raining down, drenching Jesus' feet. She's not having a, a quiet cry, but this is wailing out. Now, she may be crying tears of sorrow over sin, or she may be crying tears of relief, joy, and thanksgiving. Now, the woman lets her long hair down, and she uses the tresses of her hair to wipe Jesus' feet. Then she kisses Jesus' feet and anoints his feet with ointment. Now, this, this scene is shocking because a woman's hair is supposed to be her crowning glory. Uh, the, the, her hair is her pride, yet she abases herself 
to clean Jesus' dust-covered feet, something even servants would not do. And all this was planned by the woman. She had planned to show Jesus such devotion. And she came prepared with an alabaster flask of ointment, which might have cost as much as a year's salary. Now, how will her actions be received? How will this unwelcome intruder be received by Jesus? And why is she so devoted to him? Now, Jesus doesn't shoo the woman away. He quietly receives her outpouring of affection. But you can imagine this makes the host and the other guests is really, really awkward. You know, they, they're probably thinking in their minds, you know, what is she doing here of all people? Why is she doing this? And worst of all, why is Jesus allowing her to do this to him? Now, before we are too quick to criticize Simon, consider how we think of others. Do we pass judgment on people because they are different from us? Maybe they look different, they dress different, they talk different. Maybe people come from a different nationality, they have a different culture, they speak a different language, they have a different social economic background or status. Do we pass judgment on people who are not like us? Do we pass judgment on those who live in dormitories and who take on jobs that we don't want to do? Do we pass judgment on those who have difficult family backgrounds or who have messy lives and obvious sin struggles? Simon judges Jesus in his mind. And Simon is thinking, if, if this man were a prophet, implying that Jesus is not a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, Simon reasons that Jesus can't be a prophet because a true prophet will not allow a sinner to get so close to him. And Simon is scandalized because he sees himself as better, better than the woman, perhaps even better than Jesus. And he thinks, I'm a moral, religious man, you know, not like this sinful woman. Her kind doesn't belong in my house. Well, consider this, what, what's the problem here? What's the problem here? Simon sees the woman's sin, but he doesn't see his own. But the truth of the matter is this, Simon's sin, though less obvious, and perhaps more socially respectable, his sin is no less serious in God's sight than the woman's sin. Simon, however, has been blinded by his pride and self-righteousness, and this, this makes him unloving, judgmental, critical, and insensitive towards those who don't measure up to him. Friends, we cannot love well if we are proud and self-righteous, if 
we make much of ourselves, then we will not move towards others in humble love. Instead, if we make much of ourselves, we'll adopt an attitude of entitlement that expects others to serve us first. Now, this us and them attitude leads to self-centeredness, disunity, discrimination, and prejudice. You know, sadly, as the number of COVID-19 infections has risen among our foreign workers, some have blamed them for being quote-unquote unhygienic and for worsening the outbreak. But friends, the, the fact is that the virus doesn't discriminate between people. Sin, likewise, is no respecter of persons. And sin, friends, is a far worse pandemic. So do we have an us and them attitude? Do we think we are better than others because we are good Christians? Now, one Christian writer said it well. Being religious can be a great cover for sin lurking in the depths of, our, of one's being. Simon thinks Jesus can't be a prophet because he seems to not know about the woman. But in fact, Jesus knows everything. He even knows what Simon is thinking. Now this tells us who Jesus really is. Because we know from other parts of scripture that only God can look into our hearts and know our deepest thoughts and attitudes. Now knowing what Simon is thinking, Jesus tells a story about forgiveness and love. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, which was about one and a half years pay for an average laborer. The other owed 50 denarii, about one and a half months wages. And now pay attention to what Jesus says next in verse 42. He says, they could not pay. Both could not pay. Now this is a crucial detail. In Jesus' story. Because regardless of whether they owed more or less, neither debtor, neither debtor was able to pay what they owed. Now, this is why we don't have to know the woman's specific sins to make sense of this story. Because some sins seem more because they are obvious, conspicuous, and blatant, like murder, adultery, and stealing. Some sins seem less because they are hidden, subtle, and insidious, like pride, anger, resentment, bitterness, jealousy, lust, greed, covetousness, envy. But they are all sin. Now, some sin openly, while others hide their sin under the guise of religion and morality. But the bottom line is this. None of us is able to pay to God the price for our sins. God made us for his praise, but every one of us, we have all turned away from him. So there is no us and them, there is only we. We are all sinners. We all face God's righteous judgment against us. Now then the money lender does something totally unexpected. He cancels 
both debts. So whether we think our sins are big or small, we all need God's grace and forgiveness. Now Jesus then proceeds to ask the question, now which of them will love the money lender more? Now Simon knows the answer, but he, he's resisting the point of the story. So he says rather reluctantly, uh, I suppose the one for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And Jesus says to Simon, that's correct. So Simon gets the point of the story. And the point of the story is a simple one. The one who is forgiven much will love much. The simple principle. And compared to Simon, the woman loved Jesus so much more. And Jesus says to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Simon, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she, this supposedly sinful woman, has anointed my feet with ointment. He who is forgiven little, loves little. Now Simon lacks love because he doesn't think he needs forgiveness. But when we come before a perfectly holy and righteous God, can any one of us honestly say that we need only a little forgiveness? So how do we love well? It is by getting the connection between forgiveness and love. When we realize the weight of our own sin and when we experience God's free forgiveness, we will respond with deep affection for God and others. Consider this, that Jesus died on the cross to bear the punishment that we deserve in order to win for us the forgiveness that we so badly need but we could never earn ourselves. Consider what it cost the very Son of God, to lay down His life for us and for our salvation. We will love much because we have been forgiven much. Our love flows from a heart changed by God's grace. That is the root that nourishes the fruit of love. Now, these are tough times for many of us. You know, suppose I need financial help, so I ask my boss for more pay. Now, he agrees, but only if I work longer hours. So, having no choice, I, I work longer hours. I work more, but I won't love more. Because I think I deserved what I've earned. You know, why should I love my boss more? Because he's only given me what I've earned. But what if my boss graciously unconditionally gives me more pay, simply out of the kindness of his heart. You know, I will love him for that because I, I know I didn't do anything to deserve such kindness from him. Well, God doesn't forgive us because we've cleaned ourselves up, because we've been religious or we've been so-called good Christians, but rather God forgives us when we confess our sin and brokenness and when we cry out to Him for mercy. 
Jesus came not to call the righteous or those who think that they are righteous, but sinners. He came to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus helps those who cannot help themselves. As it says in Titus 3, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Friends, what is the condition of our hearts before God this morning? You know, maybe some of us have a wrong view of God. You know, perhaps some of us see Him more as a demanding boss than as a gracious, loving Heavenly Father. Have we grown cold towards God because we are relying more on our works than on God's grace? Has the Christian life for some of us become more a performance treadmill where we're trying to keep up and to measure up, thinking that it all depends on us? Do we give God half-hearted worship because our thankfulness to Him is also half-hearted? Consider the woman. She loved lavishly because she was so grateful to Jesus. Now, here's the irony of this story. The religious man is far from God, while the so-called sinful woman is near to God. Therefore, Jesus says this of the woman, Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. Now, Jesus isn't saying that the woman is forgiven because of her love. Rather, what he's saying is that her love shows, is evidence of her forgiveness. Her love shows that she has been forgiven. In the same way, when we love God, when we love others, it shows that we understand and have experienced and have received God's free forgiveness. So if we're struggling to love God and others, is it because we've forgotten how God has first loved and forgiven us? Have we lost sight of the weight of sin that God has removed from us? So friends, pray. Ask God to help us to see afresh the wonders of His love and mercy. Come to His Word and ask God to open our eyes to see in His Word the beauty of Christ the wonders of His mercy and forgiveness. Forgiveness leads to love. So I says in Ephesians 4, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now who is this Jesus who has the power to forgive sin? He is the Christ, God's beloved Son and chosen King. Yet he chose to put aside his own rights. He humbled himself. He came not to be served, but to serve and to die on the cross, bearing God's judgment in the place of sinners like you and me, so that we can be forgiven. And God raised Jesus from the dead, giving him all authority in heaven and on earth, including the authority to forgive sin, and the authority to give eternal life. Now, how did Simon respond to Jesus after Jesus told this story? Our passage doesn't say. But in the Bible, we know of another Pharisee 
who found forgiveness in Christ. It was the Apostle Paul, who was a former Pharisee, and he turned away from his own pride, he turned away from his self-righteousness, and he saw himself honestly, transparently, as a sinner in need of grace. And he says these words in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, but I received mercy. Friends, if, if you can say these words of ourselves, I am the chief of sinners, but I received mercy. Friends, if we can say this of ourselves, I trust that we will be able to love God and love others. So how do we love well? It's by humbly acknowledging our sins and recognizing our need for God's mercy. Now Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Have we trusted in Jesus so that he will also say these words to us? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The peace that only I can give. Jesus calls us to come to him. Don't let our fear, our anxieties, our shame keep us from him. He invites us to come to him, to turn away from ourselves and to have faith in him as the only Lord, as the only Savior. Jesus calls us to confess our radical dependence on him. And if we have received mercy from Jesus, then may we be filled with such thankfulness that it overflows in love for God and for others. May our love go beyond the circles of our families and friends, and may our love reach the unreached in our society. And may God help us to love much because we have been forgiven much. I want to leave us with these two stanzas from a familiar hymn that reminds us of how we have a debt of love that we can never repay. And the only right response to Jesus is to give ourselves away to Him completely. Alas, and did my Saviour bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you indeed that you are a gracious and merciful God. You abound in steadfast love and faithfulness. You are full of compassion and mercy. Father, we thank you for Jesus who has come not to save the righteous, but to call sinners to himself. And he invites us to come to him now, to find in him forgiveness and life. So Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts. We pray that you would humble us. We pray for spiritual sight. We pray for, the, for eyes to see ourselves as who we really are, as made in your image, and yet also fallen, as those who have turned away from you. Father, we need your grace. Help us to see that of ourselves. Help us to honestly confess that we are sinners and we deserve nothing from you. And yet you have lavished your grace and mercy upon us through your Son.
So fill us, we pray, with a deep sense of gratitude. Fill us with a sense of your love and of the forgiveness that you have lavished upon us. Father, help us to respond to you with hearts that are made alive in Christ, with hearts that are filled with the love of Christ, so that we would love others around us, not just our families and friends, but that our love would go beyond and love the unreached, love the unloved, that we would love the marginalized and ostracized in our society. So Father, we pray that you would help us. Strengthen us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And friends, as we spend time reflecting on what we've heard from God's Word this morning, here are some reflection questions for us to think about. In what ways have I struggled to love others? Why? How has my pride and self-righteousness hindered my love for God and others? Do I understand myself to be a sinner who needs forgiveness in Christ? How does this truth shape how I love God and others? And think about this. How will I love much because I have been forgiven much? Now, in this season where many of us are at home most of the time, we might be more concerned with just keeping our family safe. But friends, this is an opportunity for us to think about how we can also love others. So to, as we know God's forgiveness, think about how God is calling us to move beyond ourselves and to also love lavishly, to love Him and to love others as we have opportunity to do so. So I pray that these uh, reflection questions will help us and guide us as we respond to God's Word together. Amen.